Today our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of John. We'll be reading from the 14th chapter, verses 15 through 31. Again, that is John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. I invite you, if able, to stand for the reading of the gospel today. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And then Jesus answered him, To those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs. So that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. But I do as the Father has commanded me. So that the world may know that I love the Father. Arise, let us be on our way. The word of God for the people of God. I'm always, when I get up here, I'm always, should I go right or left? But today it's easy. Well, first of all, um, for all of our mothers here and those that may be watching this at home, happy Mother's Day to you all. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting when she was talking about moms, what I was thinking about. I, I love that when you know, kids ask us, you know, the first thing moms are like, this could be really good or it could be really bad. Matter of fact, and I'm going to get myself in trouble, and before I say it, I'm just going to go ahead and, and say, I don't mean it. But the first thought that came to my mind, what's, what's great about your mother? She's in another state. <laughs> oh, don't worry, I'll call her later and I'll tell her I said that, and she will laugh. And then she will tell me that I'm a terrible son. And then I'll remind her that I'm her best son. And so it'll all work out. But seriously... 
as we were talking, I started thinking about that one little word, love. And, of course, sometimes my mind goes off in obscure areas, and there's various things that I like to watch, various movies that I find humorous, that have, you know, some lines, if you know the movie, it's funny to you. If you don't know it, I could explain it all day, and you really won't get it. But there is one called The Water Boy. Okay. There's a scene in there at the end when he wins the football game, and they ask him, how does he feel? And what does he say? I love my mama. And then on the screen, it's, he loves his mama. It's, it's, it's great. And, you know, I think about that, and the way that that word is used, so many different inflections. I mean, obviously, when you look at your mother or father or your children, um, brothers and sisters, you say, I love you, and it's a genuine heartfelt, I love you. But then there's also the, the other one that occurs between buddies, usually at frat parties, I love you, man. Then there's some people who go, I love a good steak. Or this weekend we heard, I love your barbecue. You know, it's just interesting to me. And then, of course, I think the, the weirdest one is I love New York. Now, I've never been. I've seen pictures. I don't even think I like New York. But that's just me. But we use the same word over and over and over again. However, the interesting part is when we look in Scripture, the way we translate love is always love. It's a four-letter word for us. We know, know it, and we usually can get the inflection out of it. But in the New Testament, which was originally written in ancient Greek, in the Scriptures, there are three different words the Greeks use to distinguish. So when they say love, they can say at what level it is. Now, the first is eros, which is the lowest form of love. It's the most conditional form of love. Like I said before, people say, I love a steak. That would be the eros love. In other words, I love something for what I get out of it. And because I love it and get stuff out of it, it may actually consume it in the process. It's a very low form of love. Then there's philios. And I've talked about this before. Does anybody remember what word in our language sounds like philios? I'll give you, there you go, Philadelphia, which is the city of? Right. And so philios is actually named for that because it is, in Greek, it is, I love you because you love me. This is very often the kind of love that very close friends have, that husbands and wives have, that parents have. It is... Basically, it's this, this love that grows out of the relationship. Now, there are some nuances in there as well. And, of course, there is the highest form of love, which is agape. And agape is the closest thing I can come to explain that in the English language would be what we would call unconditional love. When agape is used, agape is the kind of love that God has for us. As we confessed earlier, we are all sinners, but even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even as God was working out our salvation and redemption, even as his justice had to be answered, even when we were not worthy, he still loved us, not because of what he could get for us or from us, because God is perfect and whole and complete on his own. It is simply a love that is bestowed upon another, completely and totally without strings or attachments. And of course, oftentimes on 
days like today or when we're reminiscing about things, we think about that. Is that not often described as the kind of love that a mother has when looking down at a newborn child? Yes, no, maybe? I'm going to get in trouble again. Human beings are incapable of unconditional love. Now, we can get real close, and I'm, when you look at that child and you do love it, and you, you know, there's that pure joy, but let's face it, as they get older, as they learn to walk and talk, or when they get to a certain stage and in their sermons they say something mean about you, we kind of fluctuate a little bit, do we not? There's still a little bit of that more filios type love. I love you because you're family. I love you because there's a mutual affection. And, you know, it's really hard for us sometimes because when I say that, I know it sounds pretty harsh. But remember when I said that truly the only source of true unconditional love or agape love is what? God. Because only God can be totally pure. For only God is totally complete and unto himself. However, what was the very first verse I read today? It was Jesus saying, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now, what does that sound like to you? Does that sound like a condition? In other words, if you obey my commandments, if you do what I tell you to do, then I will know that you love me. Now, again, if we were to put that in a different context, if we heard a parent saying that to their child, we might be a little bit mortified. That might upset us a little bit. Even though I'm not going to call any of y'all out, but I will tell you there have been times when I may have not said it exactly, but when dealing with my son at various stages in his life, it's not that I would love you if, I would love you a lot more. If you would clean up your room or obey your mother or fill in the blank. And so it's kind of hard, this juxtaposition of unconditional and conditional love, because even in the scriptures, sometimes we hear things and they're put out there and it almost sounds like a contradiction. We say that God is love, and we, in there it tells us that God's love is pure and holy. And yet, Jesus, in describing it, also says there is a conditional element to this. If you love me, you will obey me. And those who love me and obey me, the Father will love. And so it kind of becomes this, is it conditional, is it unconditional? It's difficult to answer because it's all part of what I've been talking about all along. Remember what Jesus has been talking about in this section of the Bible? Do you remember from last week? We're talking about, he's, he's been telling them what's going to happen. This is Jesus explaining what is about to happen to him when he goes to Jerusalem, that he has to be crucified. He'll be handed over. They will beat him. They will treat him badly. They will crucify him, and he will have to die. And then on the third day, be raised again. And so in trying to help them understand this, because they still don't get it, and even as we're in the sixth week of Easter, if you remember when we talked about what happened on 
that first Easter morning when we talked about the women going to the tomb? Were the women going to see a risen Savior? No. They were going to perform the ritual burial requirements. The next week we talk about the disciples. Later that afternoon, after hearing the tomb was empty, were they out spreading the news and, the, and, and carrying out the imperative to take the gospel to all the ends of the earth? No, they were locked away in a room. And even the next week found them locked away. And thus continually during this cycle, they're having a difficult time wrapping their minds around the various words and things that Jesus has explained to them. As we all do from time to time. Because sometimes as we read scripture, it can become somewhat confusing. There are different little nuances in there that we read and it seems like, well, this seems to say one thing and this seems to say another. For example, what are we justified by? By faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, to be more specific. So it is our faith. But what is faith without works? It is dead. So then my question to you is, is it works or is it faith? Now, the correct Presbyterian answer is by faith alone. Now, when we say this, people will immediately go, so I don't have to do anything. And then we get heavy into Calvinism, and I'm not going to go too far into it, because I know a lot of people start getting squeamish when I throw out certain words about, um, well, Mr. Calvin and his tulip. But if we say it's only by faith, then some might be led to believe, well, does that mean that I don't have to do anything? If God has already chosen me and prepared me, and I kind of think this is a lot like in the family. I think in that very instant when parents find out that they're going to have a child and they're happy about that, or at the very instant when they see that child for the first time, there is that moment where it is as close to unconditional love as is humanly possible. And from there it kind of starts to change. Because, well, that's life. As humans, we're sort of caught up in this both understanding and not understanding. We're caught up in this, it has to be this or it has to be that. They seem to be mutually exclusive. And yet, the problem is, if we go with works as opposed to faith, what does that mean? If works is the way to get into heaven... It means you can buy your way in. It it means you can work it off. But if we say it's by faith alone, then what we're saying is it has to be Jesus Christ. Now, the problem with that is, is then people will go, well, if it's one or the other, but it is also true that in Scripture it says, faith without works are dead. In other words, if you have faith, then you're going to have works. Now, when these works start manifesting and how great they are, that is, well... It varies from person to person and even from year to year or moment to moment in our lives. But we are promised, if we have faith, if we trust in Him, if we obey the Lord, then we love Him and He loves us. And again, that causes a contradiction or a problem for us. When we confess our sins each Sunday, do you believe it? 
Or do you just say it because I wrote it down? We all understand that to be true. We all know that we're not perfect. We all know that we have failed. And therefore, if we have failed to keep his commandments, what does it say about those who do not keep his commandments? They don't love him. And they have no part. And again, that can become very confusing because then all of a sudden we have what some people describe our God as is we have an angry, all-powerful being that basically randomly discriminates against his creation. Have we not heard people say, if God is love and God is all-powerful, then how can these bad things happen to me or to you or to somebody else? It becomes that that mind-boggling question, because we live in a world that mostly is one of dichotomies, even if it is on a sliding scale, because we believe it has to be this or it has to be that. However, when Jesus is explaining all this, what he is explaining is the simple fact that Jesus Christ is the nexus. He is the center. He is the point at which the divine connects with the human. It is the only way and the only reason that what Jesus Christ did for us matters at all. Because he was fully human and fully divine. Because of that moment, God in that way interacts and connects to us in a way that we can't possibly understand if we try to use just our logic and our reason. But that is why Jesus gave them more than words. Yes, he taught them lessons. Yes, he gave them things that they would carry into the future. Yes, he told them what they should learn, and even before that, he used the scriptures that God had already given to his people, both through the Torah and the Psalms and the prophets. But more than that, he has now promised them what? I am going away so that you will receive the Advocate, the Holy Spirit. And as we receive this Holy Spirit, and it's only possible for us, to, for us to allow and have this Holy Spirit abiding in us if Christ has already sacrificed himself and won for us our salvation. A couple more theological words. We've all heard of sanctification and justification. Now, justification is what? That's our salvation. If you justify something, that means it's now right. Sanctification is a process by which we are becoming right. And so we are justified. In other words, we are made right, but we are also being made right. And so it's not an either or, it's a both and. And even more. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to us, because of what Christ did for us on the cross, because of the plan that God had from the beginning of time, in his righteous and holy will. We can say that while we are not perfect, we do keep his commandments. At least there will be a day when we will be foreseen as having kept all of his commandments. And how can that be? Because as the Holy Spirit grows in us, as we are infilled with the Holy Spirit as it takes up residence, as it abides in us, then that connects us with Christ. Because he says, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. The world will not know me, but you will know me. The world will never understand, but you will. And why? 
because of the Holy Spirit, because of the advocate that he is sending down to us. And as that becomes part of our lives, as that becomes part of the church, as that becomes part of our reality, then we are ever intertwined with our Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect and righteous. And so his righteousness is then imparted onto us. His righteousness then becomes our righteousness. And it is no longer because of the things that we have done, but it is because of the very things that he did for us and now are attributed to us. They become part of who we are in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. And that is why he says, you should rejoice that I am going away. For then he will come. Now, as he's talking about all this, and this is wonderful stuff, I mean, this should be the kinds of things that we keep in, the, in our minds when we're having a bad day or things are going wrong, and we say, this, that may be true, but at least I know who I belong to. At least I know that the Holy Spirit is here. At least I know that I have been justified. I am being sanctified, and some days I probably need a lot more sanctification than others. But the justification is already part. But then we look at this world, and this is the other part. Judas, and if you didn't catch that, this is Judas, not Iscariot. This is not the bad one. They had several different names, the disciples. But he asked, how will we see you? How will we know this? He didn't understand. He still didn't get it. And that's because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit would enable them to understand, at least in bits and parts, at least temporary, in a temporal, in a fashion that would be both now and then, both in our ignorance and inability to fully understand and comprehend God, but then being able to fully be part of what he has done for us. And so in this particular passage of Scripture, Jesus is preparing not only his disciples, but also the church for this world that we live in, a world where there are still bad things that happen, a world where, well, we still do bad things ourselves. I mean, we talk about love, and I mean, let's face it, Christians are well known for our love and our charity, are we not? For our grace and our mercy and all the wonderful things that we try to do in our communities. But we're also known for bigotry and some wars, and some judgmental attitudes, and even occasional infighting between people who read the Scripture or read from a slightly different version than the people down the street. All of these things make people look at the church and wonder why. And there's a lot of people in this world that turn away or ignore what we teach and what we profess. And of course, I always wonder, Why? How could that be? How could it be that our God who is so perfect, our God that would send his son into this world to die for us, our God who redeemed us out of our sin by his power and his goodness, who then gives us his spirit to abide in us that we might abide in him, how can this possibly have ever gone wrong? He doesn't explain the why, but he does say the world... He distinguishes between the two. The world does not see and does not understand because the Spirit is not within them, but the Spirit is in you. And so we understand. We get it. But again, it's one of those things that 
None of us get it all. True? We all find some things that are confusing. Matter of fact, the simple fact is, and most folks, especially on this particular day, during this particular hour, don't want to admit this, but we all have doubts. We all have questions. We all have things that have popped into our head that make us wonder, okay, I don't understand how this all works. What if the people that say there is no God are true? Now, I have to admit, that thought has crossed into my head, especially when I was working in engineering because of all these really smart people. But very quickly, I would remember passages like this and say, the wisdom of humanity is foolishness before God. And while I will never fully understand all of the things that make God wonderful and perfect, what I can trust in is what he has done for us. And I can do that because he gave to us this Holy Spirit that abides in us and allows us to understand even the things that we don't fully know or comprehend. He allows us to trust and believe, and thus takes us back to my first question, is it works or is it faith? Well, because the Holy Spirit allows us to believe, it is faith. It is faith in what God has ordained. It is faith in Jesus Christ, and it is faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, it will always be manifested, this faith, in works, in deeds. There will be times we slip, there will be times we fall, there will be times we we remain idle. But I guarantee you this, if you have ever confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit is in you because you cannot confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior without the Holy Spirit being present and enabling you. Now, that's the moment when you were justified. The back and forth, the doubts, the fear, the worries, that's where sanctification is solely working us. And while we are not yet perfect, we will be. And so, do we truly have to obey his commandments in order for him to love us? Or because he loves us, are we then unable to obey his commandments? And to that question, I would say it's not this or that. It's yes. Because God is good. And his faithfulness is endless. His grace and his mercy are unfathomable. And he, from the beginning until the end, has a plan and a will. And his will is always done. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I give you thanks and praise for this day as we gather in the sanctuary to worship you, to hear your word proclaimed. As we are in awe of the mysteries of the divinity and humanity of Christ, the sacrifices that he had for us. For the power of the Holy Spirit which resides in us and moves us forward. For this and so many other things that we don't even know or understand, we give you our praises and our thanks. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen.